0: Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. The guest becomes the host, and the host becomes the guest. This segment is called Now You Do Me. Don't make it weird.
1: Hey, it's Jason Falls. I'm apparently hosting Shareable, and uh, Jeff Gibbard is here, and I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions and hopefully get to something that really embarrasses the living crap out of him. Um, I would so, expect nothing less. <laughs> so, Jeff, here, here's, here's uh, first of all, I, I think there's a lot to be said about uh, how a person perceives themselves. Especially when they were young. So, you know, there's there's these archetypes of people in elementary school and whatnot. There's the jock, there's the nerd, there's the whatever. What was Jeff Gibbard like at, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years old?
0: Class clown. Um, okay. So, in terms of like friend circle, similar to you, I think, I, I kind of was. In between a lot of different groups uh like i could i could talk and hang out with anyone because it made everybody laugh and uh i was athletic enough that i could hang out with just about anybody and play sports and i was on a couple different teams and things like that so i was able to do that i was pretty nerdy and geeky in terms of like my interests i was always into like you know movies and uh kind of some different types of music than others were so i kind of was in between a lot of different groups that were like the archetypes in the high school and junior high um but I would say if if I were to be pegged as anything, it would definitely be class clown.
1: So you were on you were Anthony Michael Hall in the Breakfast Club.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: There you go. Okay, yeah. that's cool. So as you as you as you shifted into college, uh, the college ages, I guess, from you know eighteen to 24, 25, Did that change at all? Did the dynamic change as your social circles changed?
0: I think as the. Uh, I guess the environment changing really changed a lot. I think that I was um I remember when I was um in my like, you know, early teens and everything. Um one of my mom's friends was like he just he belongs in college already because I I think um I was I was more mature than my age. I was kind of bored by high school and I was always looking to do bigger and better things. So, I don't know, I think by the time I got to college I was more in my element. So, I began to be more comfortable with who I was. I didn't feel limited by the small world, the small universe of a high school. So, I began to kind of grow into my own. I still was a class clown, but I think once I got to that level, there didn't seem I didn't perceive cliques anymore. I kind of just felt like a man on my own, kind of just making friends with whoever and network, not networking, but building like a network of people that I liked, and um, and I think that it, it probably changed in that way. I still tried to be athletic and hang out with people that did outdoor and and active stuff. Um, I definitely got more nerdy and more geeky and more comfortable with that. So it wasn't so much a social stigma to be into like you know computers and um, you know understanding how things work. It it became less uncool, I guess. So I embraced it more. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, it developed a little bit and yeah continued from there.
1: So at what point did you? At what point in life? Because I, I imagine for someone like you, it might be a little bit earlier than most. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'll let you uh, answer the question. At what point in your you know evolution did you did you know really what you wanted to do in life?
0: Um. There's a bunch of different ways I could answer it, but I think probably the most honest way is that I always did and I never did. So when I was 13, I was certain that I was going to be the starting point guard for the Knicks. Like I, I had no, and like, I, when I say certain, I was like, I had no doubt in my mind because I believed Mm -hmm. that if I just worked hard enough and I played it and I played basketball like every day for like two or three hours from the time I was 13 until the time I was like 17, when I realized that I was probably not going to get a basketball scholarship. (laughs) So then I became certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to be the next big director of movies so i went to film Ah. school so i was going to be the next stanley kubrick the next quentin tarantino i was going to make big films that were important and that people remembered and they talked about and somewhere about a year and a half into school i decided that i didn't really like making movies at this school because all they wanted to talk about were documentaries and those bored me so then (laughs) i decided i wanted to become a photographer and i knew for certain without any sort of a shadow of a doubt that i was going to be uh flying around the world, taking pictures of half-naked women for Maxim and Sports (laughs) Illustrated. I was certain, Jason, I knew that it was going (laughs) to happen. But then when that didn't happen, then I was certain I was going to start a revolution in in in-home fine dining as a personal chef, which I did for two years or so. But I was about, you know, over a decade before smartphones and, and kind of Blue Apron as a concept. I was in 2002 doing this. So, you know, fast forward I always knew and then uh when I launched my company I knew that you know I was going to help make business social and here we are 6 years later into the company and and we're still on that but who knows in 5 years I might look back and say and in 2011 I knew for you know who knows I I think that I'm always all in on whatever it is that I do so I I think I always kind of feel that I know where I am
1: uh, all in and schizophrenic at the same time Exactly exactly <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I love the fact that I love the all in part, you know, you, you go at it with confidence and and that kind of leads me to my next question. How much of that, of that, you know, just sort of, you know, dogged determination, how much of that do you think is Philly? Um, since I'm a
0: native New Yorker, um, I, I, last year was my equinox, uh, this past, uh, January was my equinox, meaning that it was the time where I will have spent as much time in Philly as I did New York. Um, okay. and I crossed over to officially being a Philadelphian, but, uh, growing up in New York, it's a lot different than Philly. Cause when you're in New York, you grow up thinking that you're, you know, your city is God's gift to the world. And you the character of your city is this arrogant, we have the best of everything type mentality. And then uh-huh. I moved to Philly where everybody's like, yeah, it sucks, but we love it. Fuck you. We're Philly. So it's, um. It was like a real, it was a real paradigm shift for me at eighteen when I when I moved here because it was a very different thing that I um, was used to, but. I actually don't think it's either. I think that really what it comes down to is the influence mostly I think of my dad who was very much a uh, questioner of authority, kind of instilled a lot of that in me. And I think I just have a really heavy chip on my shoulder and um, I'm motivated by people thinking I can't do something. So I love the idea of proving people that think I can't do it wrong and I kind of invent – invent people that are questioning whether or not I can do it and I use that as my fuel.
1: Very nice. Hundred and eighty degrees. The the confidence and and you know sort of determination and whatnot that is your personality is admirable. But what I want to know more than anything is tell me about a time, could be recent or it could be a long time ago. Tell me about a time when you were scared.
0: Mm. Man, I'm the truth of the matter is, I'm always scared. It's like, um, did you see the Avengers? You see the movie, The Avengers. You know, in that scene when uh, the Bruce Banner looks back and and he says, "I'm always angry." Mm-hmm. It's it's like I'm always confident. I'm always uh, looking forward. I'm always you know trying to accomplish big things, but I'm always terrified. At, at all times, I think I am always scared that it's not going to work. And for me, that's just a huge motivator. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm I'm routinely worried that um, all of my clients are going to leave. I'm routinely worried that um, when I get up on stage, literally before every time I get up on stage, I have this flash where I'm like, this is going to be the one. This is it. Finally, mm-hmm. I'm going to have that moment that they all talk about where you bomb. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. And then it doesn't. But every single time I go up, I'm like, this is going to be the one where I freeze. I don't know what to say. My slides aren't going to work and I'm not going to know what to talk about. Every every pitch meeting I go in, I'm like, I am going to – they're going to find out that I don't know what I'm talking about. Every single one. So it, to tell you about a time when I was scared would be to tell you about my Monday. You know what I mean? It's it's nice. common.
1: Nice. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I I label a lot of that emotion the imposter syndrome. You know, you're always afraid they're going to find you out. Um, the funny thing is, is that mo- some of the most successful people uh, that I know um, are suffer from the imposter syndrome far more than I do in far greater ways. Uh, so I think you're right. I think it's a a great motivator for us to achieve.
0: Yeah, I mean it does get a little bit easier. You know, I'm sure, you know, the first few times it happened for any of us, it was it was kind of crushing. But then the more evidence you get to support that that's not going to happen, you know. So I know that I'm going to get on stage and I'm going to crush it because that's what I do. But I still fear it, but it's not quite the same as the first time that I sure. had the butterflies, you know
1: yeah of course i've been known to walk up on stage with a cocktail in my hand so i i don't my, i got rid of my fear a long time ago that's fantastic
0: <laughs> oh god i that that is that is a smooth move and i could totally see myself doing that and uh that might be the beginning of the end of my speaking career uh <laughs> as courtesy of jason falls all it's, of a sudden now i'm on stage every time with a cocktail <laughs> yeah
1: it's it, it's risky it has its uh, it has its Uh, you know, pitfalls. But at the same time, it's also fun. Anyway. Uh, All right, Jeff, tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs.
0: Uh, Finding me on the interwebs is easy. Just type Jeff and Gibbard or or Jay Gibbard. Generally, you'll find me on either. Uh, But jeffgibbard.com will link out to everything I do. You'll find my agency. You'll find me as a speaker. You'll find my blogs and all the stuff I do, uh, including some of my side hustles, like uh, my online dating consultancy, where you can buy the online course and learn all about how to find love.
1: <laughs> I could I could probably use that although I've, I think I've grown tired of the dating apps but whatever
0: <laughs> They're fun. Think of it like a game.
1: They are fun. I, I, you know I, 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 I always go back to if I hadn't gone into online dating apps, I would never have seen the woman whose profile picture was of her and her recent ex-husband cutting their wedding cake. And the, the, the time stamp on the photo, it was a scanned picture. A printed picture, like you would go to Walgreens or something and pick up, and it had the little orange timestamp in the lower corner of the picture, was for three months prior to the day I saw it. Hand to God. Wow. Yeah, it, I was yeah. just saying. Like, I can't – I would not have been able to tell that story, which is amazing had I not gone into an online dating app. But that's also why you
0: you shouldn't uh, get rid of them because I (laughs) I swear to you as someone who was on them for uh, about a year and a half, you'll see worse. You'll (laughs) – You'll see, my, because you'll swipe, uh, you'll swipe and look at the next picture, and you'll see she's got triplets, <laughs> and the timestamp is like a week ago. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and and I also am uh, am in Kentucky, so we have our own special breed of of uh, of, of dating fodder down here. So. <laughs> Oh, it's fun.
0: <laughs> I I can imagine. Uh, well, have fun. It's uh, it's it's a good time out there. Uh, I'm sure.
1: All right, that's Jeff. I'm Jason. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jason. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you
0: believe the guests that we get?
1: I can actually. I schedule them.
0: Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next?
1: Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes.
0: Definitely go check us out on iTunes, and when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? I don't know. Share the episode.
1: Oh, that's right. That's
0: right. It's in the name. So... Please share this episode, tell everyone you know, and we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable.
1: Bye.